All right, guys, welcome into the OBR Film Breakdown. I'm your host, Jake Burns. This is your Friday edition now. This podcast will be. It is going to be the first of a 2022 preview guide I'm doing here, sort of, through audio form, where I start to look at the roster outlook and player-specific things from last year into this year, what performances can look like. I'm going to try to bring on some great guests to do these shows with because I think the banter is really good on these things and we have one today just a moment on the website if you check out the OBR from Thursday's action we had a ton of great things we had the OBR Thursday Twitch show which myself and Andrew Spade did and I will replay that over the weekend because there's just a ton of really good questions in there so keep your eye out for that if you're an audio only listener we posted which was everywhere the 2022 training camp schedule which the Browns finally re- finally released which will be a July 27th kickoff which is about what we expected. John Stephenson who's uh, all 22 chalk talk on Twitter put out what the Browns nickelback role in the Browns uh, defense will be. That is not the band nickelback so look at this photograph every time never mind I'm not going to go into that but that role is out there. It's wildly important with the Browns playing 61% of their snaps with five defensive backs on the field. John did a great job breaking that down. Fred Greetham, live from the stadium, did day three minicamp recap. That is also out there for your consumption. Denzel Ward, his little dinged up injury that happened. David Bell having a nice day. Cade York kicking well in the stadium. Summer break coming, the long haul. And then another interesting one that was from Anthony Reinhardt with the OBR analytics side, looking at the special teams void. I think something that's not discussed enough, and I talked about this with Anthony before he wrote it, is when you do this concept of churning the bottom of the roster, which is a big part of the Browns' guardrails, they churn the bottom of the roster, keep the contracts fresh, keep the young guys coming in. You do lose a high volume of special teams committed players. The the majority of their 53-man roster responsibility, take Andy Janovich, for example, was predicated on special teams roles, kickoff team, kick return, punt, punt return, field goal team, all the above. Those guys get churned. There's a lot of voids to fill with special teams. So he did a great job looking at that. I really suggest you take a look at it. And you get the daily newswire from Barry McBride. And we got some good stuff coming tomorrow, including a film room finally on seventh round pick Dawson Deaton, which will be good to figure out who he is as a football player. That'll come from Corey Kennan. Transferring over to now this concept, we're going to we're going to talk about some players. Before we talk about this player in specific, because it is such a notable public figure at this point we're going to bring in our guest which is jared mueller you guys know jared i don't even have to introduce him heads up the browns where he does a great job jared what's up buddy how are you you know i'm doing okay you quoted nickelback and i'm pretty sure even though i have my headphones on my wife felt some a disturbance in the force with that that band getting brought up so um mm-hmm. you know if you hear a loud thud or something she probably threw something against the wall or you know something like that I would imagine we immediately lost some listeners to this episode, right? Like they just said, all right, I'm done at that point. So if you, if you left, you're missing, you're just missing a great conversation, you know, just two guys yeah, and, talking yeah, football here. Can't talking football and, and Nickelback, right? Like what, what, what can be better? What, what could be better? I think probably a lot, but anyway, um, let's, let's talk about, well, okay, we're going to do, I'm going to do, I'm not saying you, you're not going to sit here and join me every single night. That'd be wild stuff from you jared but i'm gonna start doing previews for every position hitting on some specific players and episodes doing a sort of best of the rest for the position because we can't really spend 53 days on every every single player we think is going to make the roster but 
Um, with Watson, I thought it was interesting that I didn't know, Jared, the other day. This was pre-power outage because uh, you and I were going to get on the pod, the, uh, I think, a couple days ago, that Watson was going to speak to the media. I was just in front of my computer watching Twitter and uh, had refreshed it, and he was speaking to the media, and it kind of caught me by surprise. But a thing that stuck with me, and listen, I get it. It's still sensitive, everybody's opinion on Watson's personal issues here. But like, it's just interesting to watch what he says and the little piece of a response that gets pulled into Twitter without any surrounding context in terms of the question or his surrounding uh, parts of the answer. And they just get turned into this, like, what little quote can I grab from what he says and go crazy? And it'll draw just a ton of attention. Like, that seems to be the thing. What can, what can, from what Watson said, what can I take from it? You know, I think the one that popped out the most was his saying that he feels sorry for, the situation, right? He's like, I feel sorry for Browns fans and the situation and everybody involved that this is something that's come up and everybody took it and ran. And I'm like, it's just really weird to sit back and watch how people try to get Twitter attention from tweeting out, tweeting out these quotes from his time in front of the media in terms of trying to like, I'm not trying to say like white knight it, but it's just, it's really weird. It's just, it's just a phenomenon out there to try and gain attention, I, I guess. So, you know, I don't know. Do you have do you notice that or am I being crazy? No, I think you're you're not. I think the really hard thing for me is, and obviously you would, I, I, I know I can speak for you on this, is this is a really serious thing, but I have been there, right? Like, so I've been in training camp, covered games, you know, done all of those kind of things. And unfortunately, I can say very, very much seen, heard, we, people in the media trying to get a reaction, literally two prominent media members talking to each other before and after uh, it was an Odell Beckham Jr. related conversation that was happening and them talking to each other saying, why won't they say what we want them to say? Why won't they say something that, that says they're mad that OBJ isn't there? Very clear conversation right in front of me multiple times. Why can't we get them to say the things we want them to say? That's why we bring up this, you know, those kind of things. So, when you talk about that from a football perspective, obviously I get annoyed. I get eh, whatever. That's not really important. Uh, and and really players, coaches, you can always tell that they're really intrigued when a football question comes up, right? When you ask about a certain coverage or you ask why a drill, um, you know, I remember talking to Stump Mitchell about a specific ropes drill that he was working on. And he gave me this huge long answer after, you know, giving kind of pat answers to other things. Well, that's fine when we're talking about football. I can be annoyed. It's okay. But when we're talking about really important things, it feels like that same kind of flippant attitude towards let's get something interesting kind of takes over. And whether they're doing it on purpose or not, you get this uh, sn- you know, snippet of a quote. You don't get the whole thing, right? They, it even happened with Tyreek Hill about Tua and Patrick Mahomes. So I don't know if it's specifically about Watson or if it's really just you know, kind of how the media has been trained and and what gets clicks and what their bosses tell them to, to write about or or what they see engagement from all of that kind of stuff. You know, I just don't know if it is purposeful or it's just been trained into. Listen, if we can be honest, a media that's not trained to talk about sexual assault allegations and talk about criminal justice cases and talk about victims. And, you know, that's just, that's not their training. Right. That is the training for you know, other types of media people, or, you know, I'm a mental health guy. So I have some training in that, those kind of things. So 
I don't know, but it definitely feels like a social media issue and a sports media issue more than it feels like specifically the Deshaun Watson issue. Yeah, just I'm just watching that interview and you're you're right. It's it's almost a trained thing at this point. You're chasing that euphoric high, I guess, of a bunch of interactions on Twitter. Uh, Twitter doesn't pay the bills, but nonetheless, it's like <laughs> I'm like, ah, oh, okay, that's the that's the line they're going to take from this, isn't it? Okay, yeah, you can you can just see it sort of start to build. But one that got me confused a little bit, and one that I think is interesting was the the question from Dale Ryder, and I think Daryl has some good questions sometimes where you just want to see what the what the what the answer is going to be, right? Like I think that somebody got really offended that his question was are you going to counter sue? You know, because if there's like there were some rumblings today Jared about how the NFL PA mm-hmm. is going to get spicy with them um if they try to hand down a heavy-handed suspension because nothing's happened to Dan Snyder, nothing's happened to Robert Kraft and we know Robert Kraft's situation directly relates to Deshaun Watson's case. And nothing's happened to was it uh, Davis with the Raiders? I can't I can't remember who yeah, the third owner Mark is. Mark Davis is currently. Yeah. there is some current lawsuit, I believe, from his former executive. I forget if it was CEO, CFO, COO, somebody of that nature. Um, there's there's currently some type of litigation started or going on as well. Yeah, so they're saying that in the clause in this in the collective bargaining agreement, these owners are held to higher standards. It's literally written out yet nothing has happened to them, and you're going to put Deshaun Watson in this situation. And I'm not here to to cast judgment on that, but it's interesting to me because that question from Dale Ryder was, I I thought, a peculiar one for just getting a feel on Watson. Because if you you say, hey, are you... In this situation, if this is all really untrue, if it's all made up, if it's if it's all fiction, even if it is, Jared, it has completely changed the way people view him. And no matter what happens in civil court, and we all know that there's not going to be a criminal process here, he will never be viewed the same. His reputation has been tarnished. That I would almost imagine he could go after Busby for more money than his contract <laughs> if this is all fake. But I thought the question was interesting to get the reaction from Watson, because if this were me, I'm just saying hypothetical talk and somebody had done this and you were not guilty of it, I would be really mad. So I think that like that question of, hey, are you going to counter soon? If he's like, nah, I'm not going to do that. I think that the response to that is kind of telling in a sense. So I thought it was a fair question. People took it really, really harshly to social about talking about countersuing. But if it's false, like he's maintaining it's false, you would think that your reputation, which has taken a hit here. Now, not that reputation hasn't taken a hit to the point that you still didn't get a massive contract. Usually it, you have to have some sort of proof how this has stopped you, right? It has stopped you from doing the things you would have normally done. But Nonetheless, I thought that question was interesting and and people are just like looking for it was a great example for people looking to just get mad about the words while not stepping back and thinking about like that question, just asking it and not saying, hey, you should be mad. Are you going to and like giving him a way to answer it and just saying, hey, are you going to counter Sue? I think is a great way to see where he thinks this is all going. And and, 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 you know, and you like you said, Jared, these, these folks doing it, I'm talking to you right now i'm not an expert in this none of us are it's just trying to feel out where this is going to go for the league and where it's going to go for watson and if his 
And if his if this is really the false thing that he's saying, he's out to clear his name. I just, Jared, don't think he's ever going to clear his name. I just don't. It's a stigma that is going to follow him in perpetuity. It, it absolutely is. There is nothing Deshaun Watson could do outside of uh, some very clear conspiracy theory. Not, I'm sorry, not theory, a uh, proven conspiracy against him, right? Which we've probably everybody has heard uh, versions of that conspiracy. Tony Busby lives next door to Cal McNair. Cal McNair said something really inappropriate uh, about his players. Watson asked for a trade. All of a sudden, these lawsuits come up, right? Like the that's a very overly simplified version of that conspiracy. Outside of proven conspiracy, where we got Cal McNair voicemail, text message, email to Busby, basically along those lines, find something, make something happen. Outside of that, there is nothing. Even that. Uh, that'll be on page six, right? After a little while, uh, whereas Watson has been on page one for a long time. No, I thought Daryl's question, probably a legal expert, I think if I understand right, a legal expert's going to say, no, that can't happen. You shouldn't do that. You can't do that, whatever. Um, or it's not going to work. Well, Daryl doesn't know because Daryl's not a legal expert, just like I don't or you don't. And so asking like, okay, well, you continue to say this is all incorrect. This is all false. I've never done any of these things. Uh, I don't think the 66 women in New York Times is accurate. Um, okay, well, you keep saying all that, and you seem very clear about it. So does that mean you're going to sue? Right? Like, that is that is a logical question when you don't know anything, right, about the legal system, or you know the very, you know, minimal that most normal people know. I got sued. You countersued. Okay. Are you going to do that? Because you keep saying you're you're not guilty. You didn't do anything wrong. All of that. I think it made sense. But again, it's... It's the wrong people to be asking questions. On the other hand, if the Browns or Watson say, hey, only football questions, then we're going to read into that as well. And I'll say, you know, you, you and I hadn't got a chance to watch it before we talked the first time before the power went out. Uh, and when I watched it, it was really interesting that he seemed really comfortable, but not happy, right? Like, I know that's a weird way of saying it, but Watson either looked like he's a really good liar that he absolutely believes what he's saying, which, or, is, possible. which possible. is possible. Yeah. Or there is some kind of significant disconnect between the Watson you're seeing today and the Watson who would get into these rooms, right? Like, and when I say that, I do say it in a very serious way of something going on, you know, from a, a significant level that he's able to be one person in one situation and a completely different person in another. And so it was really interesting. He wasn't overtly defensive. Uh, he wasn't, uh, at least again, as a as someone who analyzes this kind of stuff for a living a little bit, um, he wasn't any of those things that would have given me the indication that he's getting more upset. He's getting more frustrated. He's, you know, he's whatever it is. He's he was really kind of calm, cool and collected up there. And and so that was just interesting to watch because I don't know. I don't know the truth. Nobody does outside of Watson and, and the women involved. No one knows the absolute truth, but his presentation seemed to be one that told me he either really believes what he's saying or there is just something going on where he can, he can kind of disconnect out of that. So, um, I, you know, I, I hope moving forward without new information that, that if he's made available to the media, it most likely it's this one was literally 
nobody knew until like two minutes, right? They had two minutes to prep. Hey, Watson's talking, get your butts over here. Um, and I think that's probably going to be true in the future that they're just not going to like send out the email like, hey, Deshaun Watson, get all your 20 questions ready in the next 24 hours. Um, but again, there has to be some move forward if there's no new information, all of those kind of things, not to minimize what's going on, but if there's no nothing new, not another New York Times article or another charge, um, then I, I feel like he has at least at some level answered everything, whether he's lying or not. It's a different question. I'm not going to I'm not going to go too far into the weeds here, but sure. I continue to be amazed by his teammates responses to him. And, and like, yep, I know it's a shelter. I understand that the Browns are still cutting your paychecks. I understand there's a lot of stuff here um, in terms of like uh, you know, you, what you can say publicly I'm under, I'm understanding, but it feels like to me, there would be some guys who would draw a hard line in the sand and every single person that you love on the Cleveland Browns as a <laughs> follower has said positive things about him. And, and like, you know, I don't know, Jared, I don't know if this is a, this massage stuff is a more common thing in the NFL than the public knows that there's more behind doors Instagram stuff going on like I again I am totally speculating here I just would have expected at least a couple people either from the Texans time with him or his new teammates to have a bigger issue with all of this and I just haven't seen it now again I am understanding that his teammates know they can't be outwardly ridiculous right but like even little snippets of the I don't get any of that I don't get any of that and I could have missed this I don't watch this stuff with like a microscope here but I have not seen a Texans player come out and say a negative thing about him either so I'm just it's all it remains on on June 16th as weird (laughs) as it was when it happened it originally came out it's just it's weird and I don't know what other way to put it then this guy who everybody loves from every stop in his career, his life is, is it's possible. Good people do bad things all the time. It's possible here, but it just is weird. Everything surrounding it. And I continue to say it's weird how Andrew Barry and Kevin Stefanski are these guys who you, you, you would, you would put them as pillars of a community. If you, I mean, they're, they're Ivy league trained guys. Like, family guys i mean and they're doing they're doing saying this stuff so as much as the stuff you read that is out there is 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 as cringeworthy as it can get you also have to wonder and still wonder is there more here than we know because i still have not seen enough of watson's side from a legal standpoint, everything that is leaked out for the most part, there was a little bit that came out from the interview with the cop, uh, the detective, but everything has come from, from the other side in a means by which you can tell Jared the same way I can to get him to settle. Like there is a clear public media blitz to get him to settle, which again, that lawyer is probably doing the right thing here. But like, I just, I don't know, man. I'm not, I, I figured by now I would be really, really harshly swayed one way or the other. I just find myself in this, it's still very weird territory. Do you know what I mean? I absolutely do. You know, the reality of of, of covering the team and, and dealing with it and all of that is, it's heavy, right? Um, you know, you, I am fully 
going to believe that uh, women are not treated well in our society, that more women are victimized than are um, than justice is given, and that there is a high likelihood that inappropriate behavior one way or another may have taken place, whether it was a crime, whether it was a this, whether it was a that. Um, we know it is awkward behavior, right? A lot of massage therapists, that doesn't, that's awkward, right? That's different. Um, you know, I can tell you that I've had uh, professionals in the game, whether it's on the agent level or, or elsewise, tell me very clearly, there are tons of, of professional players who uh, they just have, um, they just pay for things. Uh, but it's, it's done in a, in a less awkward way. It's done in a more normalized way. Um, but yeah, it's, you just, you would want to, you would think there'd be more clarity. I mean, let's just put it that way with this many women with that's, that's, that's the right thing, Jared. You would think by now there would be more clarity on this. Right. And the fact that, I mean, I hate to say it this way to oversimplify it, but the fact that there the grand juries passed again, unless there really is some conspiracy on that level, there was some talk about Rusty Harden's communication with uh, the district attorney and those kind of things. But, the, you know, they passed on these charges and this and that. There's just so much. Again, yeah, exactly. You wish there was clarity. You know, we're about to talk about him from a football perspective, which is the clarity we have, right? We can talk about football. But you wish there was clarity for the fans, right? I want fans to be able to say, I'm done with the Browns with as much clarity as possible, right? Um, many of them have already made that decision. Um, but I want fans to be able to do that. I want fans to be able to invest their money. I want fans to be able to invest in thinking about this team with clarity one way or another. And I hope to goodness that, you know, for, for the sake of the world we live in, I hope to goodness it's all not true, right? Like that's the, my blunt reality. Not, I don't give a crap about football. I hope that this many women were not treated poorly by a man in power with money. That's what I hope happens. Um, that's period. I just don't want that many victims in this world. So, uh, clarity is what I would love to have at some point in time. Yeah. We all seek that, that clarity. It seems like I had felt like the recent push was going to put this thing to a settlement and there could still be some settlement going on behind closed doors, but I've heard no rumblings of that. And it appears it is going toward the finality of a courtroom. So we'll see if that actually translates into, uh, something that will, uh, help or hurt Watson. The NFL seems likely to make their decision in some point in the middle of July before training camp. So we'll see there. Let's shift away from that, man. I went, I went a little too long in that, that area as it is anyway. It's, uh, it's my bad. It's okay. But sometimes you gotta, sometimes you gotta talk about that stuff just because it's so heavily at the forefront of what is going on in Cleveland. If you search Cleveland Browns at any time, the first five, uh, are going to be about Watson, but we are doing a season preview here in audio form, not doing it in written form. So we're going to hit on the big players. Like I said earlier, we're going to hit on Deshaun Watson. We're going to talk a bunch of categories. We're going to do so right after this break and a word from our sponsors. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors. According to indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. 
Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Okay, so Jared, let's talk about the player on the football field. We're going to hit on Watson. I'll do Jacoby Brissett another day and do the best of the rest to finish the weekend. He's good. He's really good, man. He's really good when you watch 2020 tape. Now, there is stuff here, Jared, too, that you got to think about. He missed all of 2021. He's going to miss, it seems, at this point, the betting odds, or he's going to miss a portion of this year. It's like a year and a half. It's a lot of football, right? It's a lot of football. But if we're looking at the 2020 version, there's a lot to really, really like. So let's start with this. I like to do some categories here. The best part of Deshaun's game from you, you maybe haven't broken down a ton of tape. I have... I've watched a significant amount. I have a pretty good feel for him, but what part of his game do you like the most as a quarterback? You know, I'd like, I think the easiest way to say it is his versatility as a quarterback. And I know that's probably cheating a little bit, uh, but there are so many things that he does well that, that, that gives me hope, right? There's not one thing you can take away from him um, that I think, you know, you can hand, you can handcuff him, um, you can hamstring him by something, right? So you take away the intermediate, right? There was a, there's a PFF uh, heat chart on, on Russell Wilson and Jimmy Garoppolo. Russell Wilson's only good outside the numbers. Jimmy Garoppolo's only good inside of the numbers. You know, I think Deshaun Watson's versatility that you cannot uh, kind of do that to him. You can't load up the middle uh, versus the outside. Lamar Jackson's similar. He's a lot of the middle of the field, those kind of things. I think that's what, because he is good in so many levels, I think that's really, again, I think I'm cheating, but I really feel good about him because you don't have the ability to kind of stop certain things. Instead, you you have to stop everything, including the run, right? And so you look at kind of what he did in the, you know, he's done in the run game and you add that to it. I think it really limits what defenses are able to do against him. And that's really, really huge, you know, in the NFL nowadays. Couldn't agree more. I, I I think the the thing that I would say is is nice about Deshaun is he can do everything you want a modern quarterback to do. He can play within structure. He can play within uh, what the scheme is asking him to do. But he can extend plays. He can run play action. He can move, create, scramble, pick up those annoying third downs. Uh, pick up those annoying third downs that you've seen happen to the Browns so many times. He can do those things. He can extend plays, even though he's a skinnier looking guy, pretty strong, a really strong human that gets out of a lot of situations in the pocket where you're like, did he really get out of that? So that element is great too. So again, like you're saying, and this is a sort of a chintzy answer here, but like 
he he's just a guy you can there are no limitations to the playbook with him put it that way and i think that is an element that is so rare for modern quarterbacks because even if you call i talk about this all the time this is the, it's the five second on the shot clock basketball player these are the guys that get paid the huge money because when the defense is figured out you're, you're, you're you run a set you try to run something it doesn't work hey there's five seconds on the shot clock here you take it make something happen he's that type of quarterback there's only so many of them in the league and he's not infallible but he's he's able to do those things at a level of that you see josh pat some of the best doing it herbert uh you know burrow's kind of in that that territory as well now in lamar you had to get this guy if you could as a football player. And I think that is the biggest part of why the Browns were so gung ho on making it happen. So that part to me, the adaptability of what he can do and not saying, Hey, we have to do this this way and no other way is a huge feature for any quarterback to have. And to have one that you can, you can operate with should be a really advantageous situation for Cleveland. Um, the yeah, next one. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Good. No. So I, one of the things that was interesting, and uh, I try to get some data on things because, you know, I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but even pro football reference, one of the things I saw is uh, they didn't have anything for 2020, but 2018 and 2019, you know, we talk about being clutch. You talk about that five second shot clock, right? Um, in 2018, they had him with five fourth quarter comebacks and five game winning drives. In uh, 2019, they had him for three fourth quarter comebacks and five game winning drives. So you're talking about a, a quarterback who, at least in those two years, which were two of the Texans, you know, better years with him under center or two, the two, the only two good years, 11 and five and 10 and five uh, with him as a starter. You're talking about a quarterback who really made an impact when it mattered most. Even and back so to I love too, Jared. I mean, he, he yeah, made oh, yeah. things happen there. Yeah. And that's, you know, I think one of the things, um, even kind of connecting what we just talked about a little bit about the off the field stuff. I actually wrote something back uh, on the OBR. I forget exactly how I titled it, but um, you know, Deshaun Watson was kind of the ultimate gamble coming out in that you were betting on that. He, his leadership, um, his desire to win. And again, kind of that overall game was really going to kind of take him over the top because, you know, he's not, the strongest arm. He's not the fastest player. You know, he's not Lamar Jackson. He's not Patrick Mahomes. You know, he's not Joe Burrow. He's a, he's a lot of a little of all of those things. Yeah. And you see that in those kind of plays. Yeah. It's a good way to put it, dude. Um, what has to improve for him? I'll give you mine and then I'll let you go. Uh, for me, when I look at data, when I look at film, it is sometimes he's creating his own pressure. Either he doesn't rip it when he needs to rip it, or he will, sometimes hold on to it, trying to let something happen, knowing that, Hey, ultimately I can get out of the situation. And he does. He is a good quarterback under pressure and he's a good quarterback at extending play. So those aren't optimal, but especially early in his career, when he took a higher volume of sacks, that was an issue for him. I think he's gotten better at it, but the numbers last year were still not great. He was six with 192 pressures for the season. He was fourth in percentage of dropbacks he was responsible for. So he was fourth among all qualifying quarterbacks, 20% of snaps in that 2020 season where he was responsible or played a part in the pressure, either not getting the football out, uh, either you drift or you run into something, you step up and you run into some, you know, it's a lot of factors there, but uh, he was fourth in that number, which is a high number. 
for example, and now this was a good protection year for the Browns. Baker Mayfield only had 109 pressures created in his 2020, uh, 2020 season. So that gives you some context about pressure created. But the difference is that under pressure, the number was is, is, is night and day. Watson was the seventh best quarterback under pressure from a passing grade perspective in 2020, and Baker Mayfield was 34th. That's in Mayfield's best season as a pro. So you can start to piece together, you know, hey, if we're going to eventually lose some of these elite linemen and the health of this line, how do we get better? How do we, well, you got to have a quarterback that can take those pressure scenarios and flip it. But I would like to see him consistently make the game as easy on himself as possible. So I think that is an area where I'm really interested in seeing him just make it a little easier, less less uh, physically uh, tolling, taxing. It's probably the right way to put it. And, and eliminate as many pressures as he possibly can by playing mentally out in front of the uh, the defense, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. It actually kind of coincides with what I was going to say. And mine starts actually back at, at Clemson in that one of the things that worried me the most is that he, he was a little bit too much of a tryhard, right? Is, is that he felt the pressure to do everything, to make the big play, to – all of that you could just tell he felt like it was his responsibility you know to be the Michael Jordan of football which is you know what his coach called him uh you know and kind of be that hero and it's not hero ball in in the worst of ways but a lot of the things you're describing holding on to the ball too long believing in his ability to get away uh you know all of those kind of things you know at Clemson that led to his senior year you know 17 interceptions you know he he had 41 in touchdowns which is great but I always get this or often got the sense that, you know, he just was trying a little too hard, felt a little too much pressure that he needed to carry things. And that's really going to be concerning as we look at kind of what he's coming into in Cleveland, given everything, given everything off the field, given how much um, ass draft assets the Browns gave up to get him. And then obviously the big contract and all the attention he's going to get. Does he feel that pressure and does that lead him even more right so like you talked about number of sacks you know sack yardage you know fumbles we know that recovering fumbles isn't always it's based on luck primarily it's a really weirdly shaped ball but you know the last three years nine fumbles ten fumbles eight fumbles you know that's that's a lot of us 27 fumbles in three years you know he only lost nine of those but still the, how many you lose just depends on a just a ton of different things. There is nothing related to skill when it comes to that. And so I really do worry a little bit about, you know, Deshaun in Houston and even in Clemson, you know, yes, he was needed to be the hero. Yes. He needed to carry the team, all of that kind of stuff. There is nothing like the pressure that he's going to receive whenever it is that he plays in Cleveland. And can he stay within himself? Can he stay calm, cool, and collected? Even some of the highlights or not even highlights, even some of the video that we've seen, um, through OTAs and now minicamp, he just didn't seem calm, obviously learning a new offense, learning his players, all that stuff. Uh, but he just didn't seem overly calm and there's not really a pocket, but you know, so, so how does he respond to the pressure, not only of being kind of the hero, but also the pressure of living up to all of the attention, all of the angst, all of, you know, are there going to be women's groups protesting outside of each of the stadiums, away games, all that stuff? Um, I just I just worry that he's going to feel that pressure, carry that pressure, and not able to play really, really freely uh, whenever he is starting for the Browns. 
It's well said. I've I, I mentioned that myself a couple times about how does he handle the villain role because it, 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 we were talking about it earlier. Even though it all could go away, it could all it could all fade away in terms of he could be his name could be proven uh, in in civil court and all of that and whatever. I still think the stigma follows him. So how does he overcome that? How does he handle that? That's a lot mentally. It's a lot. It's a lot mentally. So that is going to be an interesting storyline to follow. On top of all of that, Jared is the $230 million contract and the pressure that comes with that, right? In terms of proving people, you know, there is no single player that the NFL community outside of Cleveland wants to see fail than Deshaun Watson. They want to see him fail and they want to see the Browns fail and they want to point fingers and they want to laugh. So there's a lot riding on his season this year and how his contract plays out. I want to talk about some pro football focus stuff because I trust their quarterback charting really, 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 really highly. I think they do a great job with it. So I, I pulled some stuff from 2020, the last season he had a full year to start. And I just want to look at trends. So like what I've noticed over the years is his 17, 18, 19, and 20 seasons, his pass grade has gone up every year. He was a 64.1 pass grade his rookie year. Now remember, he tore that ACL in the middle of the season. He had, I don't know how many games he had started in 17. It was a decent little chunk. I think like half the year he had a 19 touchdown, eight interception ratio, 1700 passing yards. He had uh, completed 200, 126 of 204 attempts, 241 dropbacks, a 64.1 passing grade, 17 big time throws, 12 turnover worthy throws. Okay. Um, the offense, his first two years was unique because Bill O'Brien was running it and it was very it was very college-ish, Jared. He had a lot of like high orbit motion stuff going on, a ton of misdirection. They were doing a lot of college types of schemes. And then the 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 fourth year, his sorry, his third year in 2019, they brought in Tim Kelly to be the offensive coordinator. And Tim Kelly was the OC. And it got a little more modern in terms of the NFL stuff. But nonetheless, that's why his first year was a little interesting. The second year was dicey in terms of the numbers of, I like to look at big time throws and turnover worthy throws. He had 22 big time throws and 21 turnover worthy throws. You never liked that. His touchdown interception still felt fine. 27 to 10. He had 4,400 passing yards, but you want to see a discrepancy in those. You want to see the turnover worthy throws go down. The big time throws go up. He had 35 big time throws. So 13 more of those in 2019. 27 turnover worthy throws. So what you what you like to see was 17, 18, 19, you started to see some improvement, especially because there's always a learning curve, right, Jared, where your first year they're figuring out who you are, your second year they've got you figured out, third year they totally know who you are, how are you combating their tendency breakers? And then in 2020, he clearly became the guy that's like, okay, this guy's real. And I'm talking the film matches. So you can do whatever you want and say, well, hey, they were coming from behind and trailing and losing. He was really good. He was really good. And, and he was around a top 10 quarterback in 18 and 19. Uh, I think a, a little higher than that in 19. He got into that top eight range. But 2020 was phenomenal. 42 big time throws, only 14 turnover worthy throws. Significantly, he cut them and he cut the turnover worthy throws in half. He increased his turnover, his big time throw percentage up to 7.4% with 42 of those. Uh, the average distance of target remained about the same. His time to throw got a little quicker. He cut down on sacks. He cut down on pressures. All of the stuff was heading in a great direction. Hence, the Texans deciding to give him a massive contract. 
the numbers uh, surrounding it also very strong. He had the third best passing grade in 2020, a 91.2 passing grade uh, among the elite of the elite, Tom Brady and all of those up at the top. Seventh best grade under pressure. Uh, he had uh, the uh, third highest mark when kept clean. So when the pocket was clean, we talked about that a lot with Mayfield. When he was kept clean, he was good. And Mayfield was good. He was the fifth highest passing grade when kept clean in 2020. Watson was the third best passing grade when kept clean. When not blitzed, Watson was the third best passing grade in the NFL. When he was blitzed, he was the ninth best passing grade. So not a discrepancy there. He had the fourth best play action grade. We all know how well Kevin Stefanski uses play action. Watson had the fourth best mark in that in 2020. Also top 10 in 2019. Mayfield in 2020 was ninth. So I'm giving you context of the last time Browns had decent quarterback play. So uh, pressures created by the quarterback I've gone over with you. Um, he had the 10th grade, uh, 10th best grade among quarterbacks in 20 plus yard throws. Downfield did Watson in 2020. 23 of those were big time throws. He had the fourth highest passing grade on intermediate throws, 10 to 19. He had 17 big time throws in the intermediate range. That's second best in the NFL. And he was fourth best in passing grade in short. Short yardage shows which are zero to nine or even behind the line of scrimmage. The numbers are strong. They're really, really strong. They match the film. The question here is, as we shift to our last little topic here of looking at what the outcomes would be, is he able to continue that? Not only is he going to a new coach, a new system, a new city, a new situation, there is the element you were talking about earlier, Jared, the different vibe of him as a person and all of the looming extracurriculars, right? There's just a lot. There's a lot here. So what I want to do is talk about what's a bad outcome for him, right? Like what's a bad outcome for him? And then what's a good outcome and what's a great outcome? So to me, and correct me if I'm wrong here, a bad outcome is a suspension that is half the season. And a lot of this outcome discussion with him ties into half the season. But Mike Clay had put out uh, those those stats from ESPN. I talked about him with Brad Ward earlier in the week, and he had him at like 223 passing yards per game, starting 11 games and only being at like 223 passing yards and like 17 touchdowns and eight interceptions. I can't remember the number off the top of my head. That to me would be a bad outcome. They can't have Watson come back and only average 220 passing yards a game and and not and not have this pristine. Uh, interception to touchdown ratio that that to me would be a bad outcome a low a low passing production number because the Browns are going to they're going to need him to be an anchor whenever he does get back he's got to go to me it's hard to look at because mo most of the time Jared our brains look at seven 16 or 17 game stats and try to justify it right so it's hard to say like if he starts 10 games here he's got to get half the season to me a good outcome is half the season about 275 yards a game and a three to one touchdown interception ratio. That's a good outcome. Bad would be two to one or below in 220 ish yards of passing game, uh, passing yards per game. A great outcome would be dominating 300 yard average per game, clean numbers, and a almost four to one because that's kind of what I mean. You put 33 and seven year up, that's kind of getting closer to that range, right? You need him to be that guy. That would be a slam dunk outcome. But getting 2019 Watson, which was still a pretty good quarterback, if you go look at 2019's passing grades by the position, he was, uh, let's try to, to quickly take a look at just sheer passing grades in 19. 
Uh, Watson was a 12th overall with, with a 78.0 passing grade in between Dak and like, well, I actually need to do the drop back sorter here to eliminate some guys who didn't. He was 10th, 10th overall Dak, Derek Carr, Matt Stafford, Aaron Rodgers right out in front of him. Tom Brady's behind him. So I don't know. Where do you go on good, bad, great outcomes for him this year? Yeah, obviously it starts with what's the level of suspension. Um, You know, my sort of worry is that there becomes this huge legal battle. And so this is kind of hanging over throughout the season versus, you know, put on hold throughout the season. I think a, a bad outcome really will be, and I, again, I don't, I don't talk numbers as as well as maybe I could or should. For me, a bad outcome is is a lack of comfort, um, a lack of feel for the game after being gone, you know, for a year, well, at least one season and a year and a half, um, which would lead to right numbers. It's going to lead to you know that interception to touchdown ratio. It's going to lead to the fumbles. It's going to lead to kind of the short circuiting. You know, I like to look at, you know, first down, you know, on third down uh, with Stefanski, it's a lot of fourth down plays. You know, what are the what's the decision making in some of those kind of crucial plays? Uh, Because that's really going to decide whether Deshaun Watson is close to where he was when he played football last. Or is there kind of a serious regression when you don't get to play the game, don't have, you know, live bullets and are not rehabbing an injury, right? You're you're really just kind of sitting it out for a quarterback that feels like it, it can really cause some significant comfort and feel levels, uh, which would obviously, again, play out in in kind of what uh, what's happening in the numbers. I think you're exactly right on the on the good and the better or the great is that you see a quarterback who is is keeping a team in the game. Neither of us believe in quarterback wins, you know, even into the 2020 season that you brought up. Uh, I pulled it up because I wanted to, you know, I know the stats and I know, you know, the team's record was terrible. They were four and 12, but you know, did he keep them in the game and nine out of the 12 games that they lost, they were within one score. Right. And so, uh, you know, eight points or less, some of them were three, six, you know, those kind of number seven. Uh, I think there was one or two eights, but he keeps the team in the game, even though that the, the Houston team was, was uh, under talented will be the way that I'll say that. And so yeah. does he do that with the Browns? Is he a part of even his of, own team recognize that Jared, there's a famous right. clip of JJ Watt walking off the field saying, I'm sorry, we wasted a year of your prime. Like this is, this is well known. You can try to blame him all you want, but everybody around the organization and, and those who covered the Texans knew that they were in terrible shape that year. Well, and that's why they gave him the huge contract, right? So for me, it really is so bad is I'm going to say, I'll try to be a little bit clearer for, for the end, kind of ending it out. Bad is that he's the reason they lose games or he's a part of the reason they're losing games. He cannot uh, pick them up from some of their mistakes, whether that's, you know, a fumble by somebody else or the defense struggling or whatever. The good will be that he can be a part of the team winning. He can really, uh, you know, help amplify the run game and Joku, Amari Cooper, but maybe he doesn't take it to that next level. Um, you know, I, I wrote something about I, it's his responsibility to really make Donovan Peoples-Jones, make Anthony Schwartz receivers that are better than what we have seen so far. That's his responsibility. And that's when we would know he is great, that he's carrying the team to wins, that he is elevating David and Joku, Donovan Peoples-Jones, Anthony Schwartz, and he's putting them on a different level than they have ever been. That's when we know it's good that he is playing great, or at least we see signs of that as, again, however many games he plays, 
you know, as he's in game four or five or six, you start to see signs that he is the quarterback that will carry the team and that that's going to be what the future might hold. Even if 2022, because of a suspension, maybe we don't get to see all of it. We need to see a quarterback who can go blow for blow with a Patrick Mahomes, with a Josh Allen, a Joe Burrow, Tom Brady, whoever else is on the field. We need to see that at least glimpses of that uh, and see it pick up kind of like you just went through kind of how his career has picked over, picked up over the years. He needs to be able to do that throughout the season. Very well said, man. And like you mentioned earlier with the comeback numbers, sprinkling in a couple of those, sprinkling in some big moments where he shows I'm a guy that can actually do this. It probably is going to sway a lot of Cleveland fans and all that stuff. So he has the pressure to go prove to be someone who is able to do the things the other guy who was here before could not. And if he is unable to do those as a tied to a bad outcome in this exercise, it will not be fun. It will be really miserable if he can't figure <laughs> that part of it out. So yeah, this was fun, man. Not every one of these preview episodes will be about, you know, 45, 50 minutes because there's just not as many data points and talking points as there was with Deshaun here. But I think we can get a really good glimpse of what we expect these guys to be based on what they've done in the past and trying to tie it into where they are now, where they get better, and what a, a potential outcome could be for them this year. I like looking at it from all angles. So this was a really fun episode, Jared. I appreciate your time, man. Hey, not a problem. You enjoy your Father's Day weekend, sir. You too, brother. I appreciate you uh, taking time. I appreciate everybody over there at the at the Browns Wire. They do great work and continue to support them, guys. Continue to support the OBR if you can. We're all in this thing together trying to provide the best coverage we can for your Cleveland Browns and make your experience better. We appreciate you checking out the website, the Twitch, and this podcast. Hopefully, now that power's back, we can get back to this regular schedule and not miss a day. Hurt my soul to miss a day this week on a podcast. I haven't done that very often, especially a weekday, Jared. Hurt my soul. So <laughs> thanks, guys, for checking out today's episode. Shout out to Jared. Shout out to uh, uh, all of you again for checking out and enjoying and, and coming back and checking the podcast as you do every day. Uh, make sure you're hitting that subscribe button and appreciate any reviews that you could give to the pod, both on Spotify now and on Apple. So thanks, guys. Have a good Friday. Anytime you need anything, any questions with this clarification of opinions, never hesitate to hit me up, DM me, do whatever it is to uh, chat football. Always down to do that. Thanks again, guys. Have a good day. Go Browns.